Welcome to the Recovery from Relapse Workshop. My name is Vicki. I am a compulsive overeater and, hi, and your moderator for this session. Will you please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will now read our anonymity statement and the six traditions. To those of you who might be here representing the print or television media, please help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask that in your reporting on OA that you use only first names or pseudonyms indicated as such of OA members and that you obscure the faces of those who identify themselves as OA members. Sixth tradition, an OA group ought never endorse finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. The format for this session is to have three speakers for share their, for 20, three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on the topic followed by open pitches. This is a one and a quarter hour meeting. Our topic is 12th Step Within, Recovery from Relapse for Anyone Who Isn't Perfect. I will now read from the selected reading, and this is Relapse is Not Inevitable, A Plan of Eating, page 9. I had such a history of relapse that my sponsor said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. That meant drastic change in every area of my life, one day at a time. My life was permeated by bad habits. Breaking of habits can require lots of prayer and willingness. At first, just driving past the restaurant or grocery store and heading for a safe place took every ounce of willingness I could muster. But every time I do that, it gets easier the next time. Just for today, I can do this. All the power of the universe is behind every prayer, every attempt to do things a little bit better than I did yesterday. It really is a new day. I now know what works and what doesn't. I can, for today, be kind to myself and to my body. I can be my own best friend. Even if I'm taking baby steps in the direction of my dreams, I will get there. Voices of Recovery, page 213. Our first speaker is Annie J. from San Jose. San Jose. Thank you. Hi, my name is Annie. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Um, thank you for um, to those who invited me to speak today. I um, I guess 
what I want to start off with is is um, is a reading from my home meeting. I've been in OA for four and a half years, and this was the first meeting that I felt at home in. It happens to be a meeting uh, for relapse and recovery. Now, what is that about? This is about my insane thinking, and, I'll, and I'll, I'd like to read this first and then tell you a little bit about myself. Relapse is a condition where a compulsive overeater returns to destructive eating habits after a period of absence as defined by the individual relapse is experienced to some degree by many OAs. On a physical level, it can take the form of binge eating, eating foods that trigger the binge cycle, binging and vomiting, or fasting, starvation, compulsive exercising, and use of chemical substance to rid the body of excess food. On an emotional level, it can include returning to former negative, destructive attitudes and behaviors the loss of faith in a power greater than the self, and the reappearance of character defects which, which, which dominated the individual's behavior. Relapse often begins with the assumption that one is normal, cured, and no longer in need of the practices and knowledge which were gained in the 12 Steps program. This may not manifest itself on a conscious level, but some of the first portents of dangers are using or avoiding food to smother feelings, avoiding meetings and other OAs, irritation with the program principles and tools, using the scale, close size, etc. as a measure of recovery, the feeling of not belonging in OA, making excuses for negative behavior and denial of obvious changes in body size. It shrank at the cleaners, it's just water weight, the scale is broken. A feeling of mastery over self and superiority over others. These are some of the initial signs that the recovering compulsive overeaters is on the verge of relapse. If you see yourself engaging in these attitudes or behaviors, we urge you to keep coming back to meetings, to talk and listen to others who share the same feelings. The pain of relapse is greatest in isolation and in the fear of discovery that we are not perfect. For many of us, it is also the most powerful, enduring learning experience of our recovery. One day at a time, we find our way home together. This is from the 12 Step Within Committee. <clears throat> what it was like, what happened for me, and what it's like today. Um, I came to OA in, and stayed in February uh, four and a half years ago. I say stayed because I had come to OA about a year prior to that time. Um, my top weight was 340 pounds. And I knew I, I knew I had a weight problem. I knew, you know, I did know that. Um, I was shocked when I found out I weighed 340 pounds. It was in the doctor's office. I always thought of myself as 240, you know. <laughs> and I got on the scale. I literally believed that this woman did, I mean, and I had an attitude at that time, too. So what can I say? This woman didn't even know how to use the scale. Um, and so I spent a while running around weighing myself in every private corner of, you know, anybody's home. Any place had a scale, I kept trying to say. I kept trying to find the one that said 240, and uh, I couldn't find it. But I was in recovery for my codependency. That's what really blew up in front of my face, believing that I have control over things I have no control over is the root of my compulsive overeating. It's the root of all my desires 
which get me into trouble. And it's the root of any day that I'm in relapse. Any day that I get up and I believe that I'm in control and that not only do I have a plan, but my plan is going to happen no matter what. (laughs) Those are the days when I now recognize as days of relapse. Um, I came to o- I came back to OA in like I say four and a half years in February because my life had gotten better. I had started working the 12 steps. I started to believe that I wanted I wanted to live. I I I think I I stayed because I wanted to live. And the first day I was at a at an OA meeting, a woman stood up and picked up a 17. Uh, well, at first of all, I watched people pick up chips. This happened to be a chip meeting. And, um, you know, the 30-day chip, I thought, oh, I could lie, I could lie about that. <laughs> you know, and then the 60-day chip, I thought, oh, I could lie about that. Being a century person, someone who has a large volume of, uh, you know, who's done a lot of compulsive eating, or overeating, I should say, um, you know, swings can be hidden when you're very, very large. Um, I can hide and eat and gain 30, 40 pounds, and no one, you know, if I maintain a big size, no one notices. I don't even notice. The clothes all still fit and all that. So in the beginning, that's what I thought. These people, they're just lying, because that's how I did it. You know, I just lied. And, but a woman stood up and picked up a 17-year chip. And, and it still makes me cry because I think, wow, I have never, ever committed myself to anything for 17 years. I have, I have never done that. I have never said, this is important to me, and I'm going to focus on it. And... Um, so I think I kept coming back because I knew I wanted to live and I knew I couldn't lose weight out there because I'd already played those games. And somebody, I thought, gosh, there's people who come. They, 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 this woman's been here 17 years. So um, I got active. I started using all the tools. I started working the steps again in a way. I had worked them before, as I said, in another program. Saw things on a whole new level. Um, the low, the most weight I lost was 150 pounds, and I lost that pretty much in the first two years that I was in a way. Today, I have gained back about 50 of that 150 pounds. A year and a half ago, I quit smoking. What can I tell you? Little did I know that when I first started in OA, the only food that I knew I abused, the only thing that I could recognize as one of those foods that I had to stop was butter. And um, I, to this day, I, it's four and a half years, I haven't had, I haven't spread or poured it on anything that goes in my mouth. And that is a total miracle because I used to eat at least a cube of butter with every meal, and sometimes I ate a pound a day. Um, Towards the end there, my food choices, my meal choices were around whether I could put butter on it. (laughs) 
So the fact that I don't even think about it anymore and I think of that food as more of a smell than a taste is the miracle of abstinence. But I also picked up a food plan and I just followed that food plan. I just said, okay, I'm going to follow this food plan and I'm not going to ever touch this butter. Follow that food plan, I'm never going to touch that butter. I lost 150 pounds. That was great. That was hot. (laughs) (laughs) And I had it all figured out and I was healthy and I was happy and I was telling everybody how to do it right. Let's see, what is that? Mastery over self. A feeling of superiority over others. <laughs> um, I, came, I, day, I did a, a day in OA in, uh, actually right here in Sacramento, I came and spoke. I had quit smoking. I, then I was really like, you know, flying on. I'm like, I'm perfect. I don't use anything. <laughs> I was crazy, but I wasn't. But I came alone. This is what I did. I came alone. I, I never arranged for anybody to come with me and whatever. What can I tell you? I just never did. I got over here. I did my thing and had a great day. I got back in the car and I drove for two and a half hours alone with my disease. Right here. And I thought, you know, I don't really have a problem with sugar. I don't really have a problem with starches. You know, my only thing I have to abstain from is butter. I could eat those other things. They wouldn't hurt me. They don't make me crazy. So, I don't know. I mean, that when I look back today, that was the day I decided that I had I could be more free with my food. I could just experiment. And so that's, I think, what I started to do. Um, and as I did that, what I found is that I thought, well, if I'm going to experiment, then I may as well not write a plan. You know, why have a plan if you want to experiment? Um, and slowly but surely, I... You know, I just started gaining a little weight. And I was like, ugh, you know, better get back on that plan. Better get back on that plan. Better get back on that plan. And and so I kind of did that insanity for, uh, let's, thank God for not very long, maybe maybe a couple of months of thinking, i got to get on that plan. i got to get on that plan. i got to get on that plan. And finally, I, oh, I honestly openly spoke to my sponsor about this. And she said, Ian, a plan is just a plan. Abstinence is refraining from certain foods and behaviors. Why don't you go look at your foods and behaviors? Maybe there's more than butter that you should be abstaining from. I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm not like those people. I mean, there really was this little cry inside of me, I think, that said, I'm different, I'm unique, I'm not like that. And it also, um, 
I realized when I start, I did, I worked the steps. I mean, the reality is for me is that I don't have a choice outside the room. I just don't have a choice. I mean, I'm a century person. This is not about just looking good. And this is about life or death. I, when I came in the rooms, I was, uh, had hypertension, borderline diabetes. I mean, it was like going fast. So I cannot, I know that I, I have to do whatever it takes, and I can't stay in relapse, and I have to stay abstinent, and I have to work my program every day. So what I do today, because I, I think I'm getting the, the minute here, is I truly work the program one day at a time. I got honest about my behaviors. I found that the reality is I think, you know, at least for right now, I, that's the other thing. You know what? I don't want to say can never do this again, or I can never do that again. It's just like, for today, I know that if I eat certain foods, I will add another meal. Sometime before the day is over, an extra meal will come into the day. And it won't be one that I want to talk about. It won't be one that I tell anybody about. It will be a secret meal. So I know what those foods are today. And the reality is, Six months from now, there might be more things on there. Or three years from now, there might be more things on there. All I know is that every day I have to get up and be honest about what I'm going to eat. I put a plan together. I get on my knees. I say, come on, God, this is a good plan. I hope you let me follow it. You know, I hope you make me follow it. I mean, I have this really, like, fun relationship with God that says, come on, don't let me be silly. Don't let me make mistakes. Don't let me mess with this. If I'm going to make mistakes, if I'm going to mess up someplace else, let it be someplace else. Because if I mess with my food and I mess with the when and why I eat, then I am like playing with Russian roulette. I'm playing with a disease that is more powerful than me. It is totally more powerful than me. And... Um, I don't want to fight it anymore. I have, I mean, the big book says, I have ceased fighting anyone and anything. And the number one thing I will not fight with anymore is this disease. That's it. I, I just, it's not going to kill me. I might get run over by a truck, you know, who knows. Uh, but this disease, I don't want to be a party to it. Um, so, Anyway, my home meeting, I mentioned that my home meeting is Sunday morning, San Jose, anybody's welcome, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, O'Connor Hospital. Uh, we have a meeting, it's Relapse and Recovery, and we read this reading every Sunday. And I thought, this is how I thought, this is the way my thinking was before I came into OA. So this is the thinking that I'm wired with. This is the thinking that can take control of me and put me back into relapse. Um, it feels so good to be abstinent. It feels so wonderful to go to bed without having a stomachache. It feels so wonderful to get up in the morning and not be ashamed of what I did the day before. And, you know, that is a glorious thing. That That is the greatest gift. And I don't think that um, it's almost like I'm grateful 
for the for the relapse that I have had because it made me appreciate the gift so much more. Um, it allowed me to to honor the fact that food and compulsive eating is just as deadly a disease as heroin addiction, alcoholism. You know, the difference is those things kill you a little faster. Um, but what happens, um, what I knew for myself in the beginning with the food is that, well, actually, when I first came into OA, I, um, I had this thing about, you know, I realized I had no fear of death. I kind of knew it was going to happen, and I was just waiting. I think I was just waiting for it. And um, my only prayer to God around that was that it not be slow and painless, or painful. And that was when I realized that that's the life I was living. Before I got to OA, I, it, was, it was a slow and painful death, and I was just getting, you know, going down that path. So when I came in here... I had a new hope. I had a new opportunity. When I started messing with my food, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going there again. I'm going to go there again. And the harder I tried not to go there, the more crazy I got. The harder I tried to be in control, the crazier I got. As soon as I was able to say, you know what, just put the plan together, have the right foods available, you know, just do that. And the rest you're going to have to let, let God be in charge of because you really do have a disease. It's like, um, they came back. And what's nice about it, or nice, I guess what I'm most grateful for is the freedom from the obsession. The freedom from worrying about what I'm going to eat, when I'm going to eat, how much am I going to get, am I going to have to give it, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's just that um, – so, I don't know, for me, I guess the relapse was a gift because it tells me – you know, it reminds me that what I have here, abstinence, uh, living one day at a time, turning everything over is a gift, and I'm grateful for it. So, thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Annie. Our next speaker is Shirley S. And Shirley passed out some pictures. That accounts for the lapse of speaker for a moment. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shirley, a real recovering compulsive overeater from Sunnyvale. Hi, Shirley. <sighs> okay. Um, First of all, um, f for those of you who've never heard me share before, um, I just want to give my disclaimer um, that all I have um, to share this morning is my experience, strength, and hope, and that I don't speak for OA. Also, what's going around, be 
besides uh, pictures, um, is that box. And I put together um, a little packet for you. It includes the um, Dignity of Choice pamphlet, the 10-minute chip, and then um, an article um, that was printed in the Lifeline in 1997, um, which uh, it's called Creating a New Absence, which is um, my story um, from my relapse. And in um, 1992, I uh, came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and actually last Sunday I celebrated 12 years. And Last month, I celebrated 10 years of back-to-back -back absence since my relapse. And currently, right now, I'm maintaining um, 110 pounds. And for those of you who are here, um, these are the pants I wore when I first came into the program. Um, and they're, they look really humongous. They're only like an 18 to 20, but... They do have elastic, and elastic was the only thing that um, I could actually get my body into. Today, I wear form-fitting pants that um, are size 6, and I actually had to have 6s altered because they were too big. Um, basically, um, what I thought I would do with my time this morning was not only to share with you um, my experience, strength, and help regarding my OA story, but I'd also like um, for anyone who may be in relapse or is struggling right now with their program um, to share with you some tips and some things that I did um, to help get me out of that place um, that I was in. What happened in uh, July of 1992 was I had remarried, I had a baby, I was 43 years old, and I went to see a doctor, and she said two things to me. One, you need to go to this group who's going to teach you how to eat and take off the weight, and two, you need to go to OA. And I said, what is OA? <laughs> And so she explained to me, Overeaters Anonymous was a group that I needed for emotional help because someone who had an excess of 100 pounds on her body, that there was a reason why she was eating. And so I came here. I, I didn't really know that I wanted to stay, but what I figured out was you guys knew something that I didn't know. So my plan... Okay, Shirley's plan was to stay long enough so I could figure out what the secret was. Then, once I had the secret, I was going to leave because then I wouldn't need to be here. Well, of course, here I am, 12 years later, I'm still here. Um, what happened was... I was not prepared. Um, actually, 240 pounds represented at one time twice my normal body weight. Um, so when the weight came off, I was not prepared for, for my response to the world. It not only happened in the rooms, it happened everywhere I went. 
when I got my hair done, when I went to the grocery store. Um, there wasn't a place I could go to that was safe, that somebody didn't notice my weight. And basically what happened was I got scared. And what does a compulsive overeater do that gets scared? This compulsive overeater goes to food because it's the only thing I know. And um, one of the things about denial, sort of the acronym for denial is don't even know when I'm lying. Now, the thing about denial is you don't know you're in it when you're in it. Um, and actually what what I needed, what helps me is the times that I go into denial is I actually need to tell I need to have somebody to tell me that that's where I am, because otherwise I don't know that I'm there. Um, and basically what happened was um, I needed to find a new sponsor, because I had a sponsor. I was calling her, okay, look, when I was in my relapse, I was calling my sponsor three times a week, okay, but I knew her schedule. So I would call her when she wasn't there. And I knew how to be on the telephone to sound like I was doing good, only I wasn't doing good. And um, so finally I decided I had to let her go. And and it was really hard. Um, The way that I described my relapse is it was like falling down a deep, dark hole. And it's really scary down there. And in the beginning, I thought I was smart enough to figure out how to get out of there. Because I had released over 107 pounds. And initially, it started with 4 pounds. Okay, 4 pounds, I think I can handle. Okay, well, the 4 went to 6, and then the 6 went to 10, and then the 10 went to 20. By the time it got to 20, I said, you know, oh, you know, and um, and then I started going to meetings in layers, like I thought layers could cover up the weight. Um, and finally, I knew I was in trouble. And so what happened was I crossed the gender line. Um, I don't recommend that to um, women, but it was the only way that I could stay in these rooms. And because of the person who sponsors me, um, I was finally able to get the program that we got from AA. And there's something in the end of step one in the AA 12 and 12. And, and what it says is until you get it from your head to your heart that you haven't really taken step one. And what happened for me was It didn't happen for me until 1999, which was I had basically been in program almost seven years. And it was at that moment, actually, I cried at the World Service Business Conference um, in front of about 200 people that I realized I truly was a compulsive overeater, and I was like everyone else in these rooms. And um, a number of events happened. And it wasn't until April of 2002 that I finally decided I needed to get serious about my weight. And um, 
In the beginning, I worked with a food sponsor, and I don't know what it was, but every time I hit the, I kept hitting my wall at 30 pounds. And um, and then my oldest daughter was in a car accident where she almost died. I helped her to get through that, and then I fell into a deep depression. And then um, I started working with a nutritionist. Um, I did something, um, and then it made me really sick, and then I had to be rushed to emergency. And, um, and finally, um, she asked me um, to do this nine-day liver cleanse. And finally, I was able to push through that, um, and and I was the, I was able to move beyond the 30 pounds. And what I realized is, okay, a normie would have been able to do it the first time. It took me three times to move beyond the, the 30 pounds. And um, this nutritionist, I'm, I'm still working with her today, but um, there was um, a page on 23 in the OA um, 12 and 12 in Step 3. And this is a critical paragraph for me because it's something um, that I use in my prayers every day to my higher power. And this is what it says. As we become aware of what our eating guidelines should be, we ask God for the willingness and the ability to live within them each day. We ask and we receive first the willingness and then the ability. We can count on this without fail. And so what I told my nutritionist is because not only was she cutting out food, she was cutting out food groups. And I really didn't know that I could continue to do what she was asking me to do. And I said to her, look, this has got to be a day at a time, a meal at a time, and even 10 minutes at a time. And for anyone who's struggling with his or her um, absence of recovery, um, I hope you did pick up the envelope because um, possibly there might be something in the envelope or in the pamphlet um, that may be helpful um, to you. One of the things that really held me into the program was Tradition Free. Um, because there was a time when there were um, certain people um, in my inner group and also in my sponsorship chain um, who felt my sponsor should fire me, you know, and, and I was feeling like the rooms were getting really small and I didn't really know um, if I could stay. But some of the um, program slogans that really helped me was, this too shall pass. God doesn't give me more than I can handle. You will release weight at the rate that God thinks you can handle it. More will be revealed in God's time, not mine. If you are in the pilot seat, you need to switch seats with God. Keep coming back no matter what. What I can offer you is on in the For Today book on page 354, which is something um, I really believe, is I affirm that I have within me all I need to live an absent, sober life. And I believe that life is very much worth living. Some of the tools of the service that I held on, no matter how big or small my body got, was sponsorship, meetings, and service. Um, in 1992, when I first walked into the, these rooms, I 
I decided that I needed to do a minimum of two to three meetings every week. That means my butt has to be in the chair of an OA meeting every week. And to this day, um, I still do a minimum of two OA meetings. Um, one of the things that I learned about relationships was um, after I came out of the relapse, um, I tried working with a food sponsor. And I was only able to stay with her for about six days. But one of the things I said to her was um, that I wanted to go back and do all the things that I did when I first came in. And this is what she said to me. She said, you may never be able to go back and do what you did before. Okay. And what I realized is this is true in every relationship that I have ever been in, is that I'm not the same person. Things have changed, and I have changed. And the only way that a relationship can continue, as if I'm committed to it, is that it needs to go forward. But when it goes forward, it's not the same. It has changed. And what it requires for me is a new commitment and a willingness to do whatever it takes, no matter what. Am I running out of time? Okay. Um, for me, um, the most important relationship is the relationship that I have with my God. And, and what I know about God or higher power is that he wants the very best for us. So what I suggest to you is, is not to give up on God. I know um, when I was in relapse, what happened was not that God had deserted me, but that I had moved away from him. Okay. Um, usually food is not the first thing that happens um, when a person goes into relapse. It usually has to do with their spiritual connection and then the emotional and then finally the food kicks in. And for me, what I realized is abstinence is a gift of grace that I have been blessed with by my higher power. In the morning, what I do is um, I acknowledge my higher power um, for the 24 hours of abstinence that he has blessed me with. And when I go to bed tonight, um, how I live my life determines whether or not I got to keep it. So... Um, I acknowledge my higher power, not only for my absence, but for the willingness and ability to stick to my food plan, um, to continue with my exercise, um, to do all the things that I believe that he wants me to do. Um, like when anyone gives me a gift, I say thank you. So why wouldn't I thank my higher power for this precious gift? Because like last night's speaker I don't really know that I have another recovery in me. So I'm willing to go to any lengths to do what it takes so that I can keep what I have today. The big book talks about that I get a daily reprieve contingent on a spiritual condition. And what I had to do when I came out of my relapse was I decided I had to stop trying to do what everybody else was doing. 
Okay. This isn't about being a carbon copy or a cookie cutter. I don't, I don't agree with everybody eating the same or doing things a certain way. I don't really believe that that's true. You know, our lifestyle's different. Um, we have a closet with our medical history and, and the foods that we like. Everything is different. You know, so um, as this one comedian said, we are all like little gentle snowflakes, you know. There aren't any two snowflakes that are quite exactly the same. And so what I did was I looked at our program. And there's only three basic components of our program, 12 steps, 12 traditions, and eight tools of recovery. That's it. And... And so what I did was I took the program and basically I massaged and I manipulated it and I said, okay, this, I have to do it in such a way that it's nourishing, it's loving, and it's supportive of me. And I don't need anyone to tell me that I'm doing it wrong or that I'm not good enough, because I am. I am a child of God, and I'm doing the very best that I can. And I had to find a sponsor who was willing to accept and love me just as I was. And in the Voices of Recovery on page 139, it's one of the pages that I wrote, and it says, the hope and belief that things will get better is not a tangible commodity that I buy. It is something I must earn. I believe it is possible for everyone to be absent, to recover, and to have all our dreams come true. We get what we expect, so expect a miracle. We are all miracles. Remember that abstinence and releasing weight is the beginning, not the end. Are you going to be a living example or a dying example of how this program works in your life? Now is the time of your life. So what are you waiting for? So anyway, thanks for letting me share. Thank you very much, Shirley. And our third speaker is... Judy S. from San Rafael. Good morning. My name is Judy. I am a recovering compulsive overeater. Hi, Judy. Hi, family. It's so great to see you all this morning. I love a lot of people in this room, and those that I don't know, I will hope to get to know you a little more by the end of the weekend. I want to ask my higher power what I need to say here this morning. Um, I have a little anxiety. My anxiety, to be very honest with you, is that this is a topic that's really very, very near and dear to my heart. And um, my humanness wants me to be absolutely perfect and say the exact right thing so that you all recover. <laughs> I'm so glad you can appreciate that. Um, I'm here to share so that I can recover today and that if anybody gets anything from that, well, then I'm glad because I'm certain that my story is not unique, as I thought it was for a very long time. 
Becky, you know what I really like to do when I share on this topic is I'd love to see a show of hands, this is totally anonymous, of anybody that's in the room that has ever had a relapse or is now currently in relapse or experienced relapse. And I really love to see that because it happens every time that at least 90% of this room raised its hand. And there's a lot of people here. I did that because I need to know I'm not alone, and so do you. We're not alone. Um, this disease of compulsive overeating does not happen, to my experience, always in a linear fashion. It can, but it usually doesn't. Um, and I think I touched on a little piece of what it was for me. And in 20 minutes, part of that anxiety was that I, I, I have so much I want to share about this that I know I'm not able to, but I'll just do the best that I can. God will put in my mouth whatever's supposed to come out. Um, is that um, our disease, and I know certainly mine, um, gets very plugged into perfectionism. It gets very plugged into... If I'm, you know, if it's not absolutely right, well, then why bother? And that, for me, is very deadly today. It's actually uh, very addictive. For it's very, it's very intoxicating for me to think anything is just right, just right, because I strive for that in my subconscious. And what I'm trying to do in my conscious awareness is to... Um, let life be life, which is very imperfect. And I get reminded of that every day in my daily life, how imperfect life is. And that, and, and I'll talk more about it at the end, but that's what I've learned how to do, is really is to live life on life's terms and go with the flow of life on life's terms and not use the disease of compulsive overeating with which to continue to hurt myself and to disable myself from giving me the strength to deal with life on life's terms. Because I have a choice today. Sitting in this room of Overeaters Anonymous gives me a choice today. I didn't have a choice before I came here. I didn't know how to not eat compulsively. I even learned how to eat really well compulsively once I got here. And... I today choose to love myself and to give myself a lot of compassion when life on life's terms hurts like a son of a gun. So, um, I don't know if there's anything that I can say. It's that um, I have to be really cautious when I'm looking at the perfectionistic issues of my existence because what they do is they are very tied for me into shame. And I, I, I always believe that we need to talk about that big topic of shame when we talk about our recovery because I don't know about any of you, but the family I grew up in was a very shame-based family. Um, uh, the boys could have desserts, but Judy, no, Judy doesn't get desserts. Um, you know, all sorts of messages. I mean, God bless my mother. I love her so. But the truth is, is that she had the tools she was given. I had a grandmother who used to say to me, literally, never let them see you cry. Nah, never, never show that. Never. So what I uh, learned from that, and I learned it really well, really young, 
uh, is to abandon my feelings, to don't, to just completely shut myself off from my truth, from my feelings, from who I was. And I learned it well, and I learned it young because I needed to be a the little singer and dancer in front of the family, and just be the little entertainer, and just be cute, and just be bubbly, and oh, isn't she like Shirley Temple kind of stuff? And if I was anything but that, I was shamed. So what happened in the course of my life was that uh, I learned shame externally, and then as my life progressed and I got a little older, I learned how to shame myself internally when I wasn't being just adorable and happy and cute, and you're all going to love me because I'm so cute, you know. Um, I do have days where I feel really cute today, and I really like that, and it's okay to let that piece of me out. And, and I'm really okay with that today, but I'm also really okay with me today when I really hurt, or I'm just so-so, or I'm just having a day, or it's just whatever. You know, today's kind of, it's Saturday. I feel good. I don't feel fabulous. I don't feel horrible. I feel in that shade of gray that I like actually very much to live in. I'm kind of grateful that I feel just how I feel. I was never able to feel like this. I was a person of incredible extremes. My personality was a place of extremes. My disease manifested itself in places of extremes. I had to be either really out there or really hidden. And all of it was really just a big cover-up that I learned for a lot of low self-esteem. Anyway, um, that shame piece, really um, manifested itself in the biggest, boldest way once I got into Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm just going to be super brief on this history, which is that um, I came into L.A. in the Los Angeles Intergroup, which was a very different feel and climate in those days in the early 1980s, 1982. And um, naturally, uh, being the person that I was of perfectionistic tendencies, we had food plans then. They were very specific food plans. And I grabbed the one that was the most rigid just because, of course, it would be the one that I could do more perfectly. And I lost a lot of weight. And I was the, you know, the OA princess and loved it and spoke and blah, 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 blah. And then um, I decided to work the steps. And long story short, I did my fourth step inventory. And in that process, um, un veiled and unleashed the truth of my life, which was that at a very young age I had an ancestral rape and um, needed to go work on that. And I can actually say that now with virtually no pain associated with it, which means I've done a lot of work, a lot of work. And in fact, even I can um, accept that person in my life, because he'll always be in my life, um, as being who he is. Um, which tells me that I've done a lot of work. He's probably still very much the same person he was 40 years ago. In any event, um, telling somebody that deep, dark secret was a very overwhelming experience for me. And my experience was, is after losing a lot of weight in Overeaters Anonymous, I was very, very thin at the time. I needed to go and put on a lot of weight because I needed to, I needed to protect myself from the world. So um, I don't endorse that kind of eating. It was just simply my experience. And I can also tell you right now that I wear it as a badge of courage, and I wear it as probably one of the most important things that ever happened to me 
because I learned a lot of things from that. I learned that I could beat myself up very, very easily, that I could hate myself very, very easily, that I could disconnect myself completely from my body, that I could exist from here up if I chose to, that I could um, isolate myself from the world. It was me, the TV, and the ice cream at night. And all that stuff stirs up a lot of emotion in my heart because that's not at all who I am today at all. Because I actively choose not to let those pieces of my life take over my life. And that's the hard work that I've learned how to do here. You know, it's funny. um, I'm kind of grateful for the people I was doing service with in those years because I was doing service at my intergroup level and, uh, you know, went and put on all this weight over a, a little period of time to put on all this weight. Uh, and the bottom line of the story is, is that I was really good at what I was doing, so they let me keep doing it. And there's, a, there's something interesting about that to me. And the interesting thing about that to me is that I have learned, and this is just simply my personal experience, not that of Overeaters Anonymous, but Judy's, is that we need, in my opinion, to find a place in Overeaters Anonymous for people to do service no matter where they are in their path of recovery, And I share that, and I'm so glad people agree with that. I share that because I learned in OA to have self-esteem. I learned that there are things that I do really well and that I needed to build something on success. Because the more I built on shame, on imperfection, trying to be perfect, um, now I believe in perfection, trying to stay imperfect. But on all that stuff that fed the low self-esteem, the shame, the self-hate, the more I would stay there. And the more I build on things that build self-esteem and build self-love and build sense of health, the more healthy I get. I actually just the other night read Dr. Alcoholic Addict in the big book, and I was like, whoa, you know, I don't know why it didn't strike me this way the last time or the last time or the last time I read it, but it talked about how the more I look at what's not right in the world, the more the world stinks, I'm paraphrasing, and the more I look at my, he said his wife, believe me, it's my husband, and see what it is about him that I don't like, and the more I look at him and see his character flaws, the more those grow bigger, and the more I look at him and see this great guy who's home right now with my kids taking care of them, and loving them and nurturing them and caring for me but not taking care of me, big difference, the more I see what a great guy this is. So, you know, if, if there is a direct relationship at what, how I look at things. So back to that whole point on service is that it was service, gosh darn it, that saved my butt, No Overeaters Anonymous, because I stayed no matter what. I came here in 1982, and I've been here for 22 years, and I am so incredibly grateful for that because, like somebody already shared, I've never done anything well for myself for this long in my life. I mean, you know, it's funny. I remember when I got here, I was 26, and I said to myself, if it takes me 26 years to get well, I'll be 52, and I'll have the rest of my life to live. I don't know where I have this equation that it takes the equal amount of time to get well from when you got here, but I don't know, and I'm only four years from that right now, so I better get cooking and get better, you know? 
anyway, um, the point is, is that um, I just want to share for the last little bit of time I have my personal experience, which is simply, well, that's all I'm sharing anyway, but um, it's simple. I want to talk about this disease, disease being a three-fold illness because I think it's a three-fold recovery. I, my experience was is that I already told you I did this really rigid food plan for a while. And then I let myself do the I can eat anything, anytime I want food plan. And what I have realized for myself is that, you know what, there's my extremes again. Neither one of those work for me. I don't know about any of you, but neither one of those work for me. I eat very moderately today. That's just my experience. And I also know today uh, I don't weigh 120-some-odd pounds, which was my low-weight and overeaters anonymous, and I don't weigh 250-ish, which was my high-weight and overeaters anonymous. I'm somewhere sort of in the middle, and I like where I am today. Um, it's given me a lot of self-love. It's given me knowledge of how to love myself. I love myself today because I want to be a person who feels self-esteem. The way I feel self-esteem is by doing esteemable acts. I learned that here. I learned that if I want to feel well about me, I do this thing that makes me feel well. It's kind of a real simple equation. I do things the minute the shame comes up of, oh, I didn't do that well, or whatever. It's like, go away. You did the best you could. The other thing is I find people that are very safe here. I have found people that I call my life preservers. And there's a few of this in the room right now. And I love you dearly. Because these are the people, if you don't have someone, any one person in this program that you could tell the absolute truth to, that's the thing that I could share with you. That is the only thing that I'll share with you of great importance today. The absolute truth. Because that is what will set us free. It is once I started to tell the absolute truth about my feelings that I was able to release myself of the pain that they caused me and how they dis- disturbed me. Um, so those life preservers help me deal with my life on life's terms. They help me when the day really is painful or when something is happening that I'm really afraid of. I can say I'm really afraid of this. And we can say to each other, but let's just walk through this together. So, um, you know, the three, I, I had a walk and talk with my higher power the other morning, and this is what came to me, and it kind of like struck me as a little bit wow, so I'll share it with you. There's no doubt that I came to Overeaters Anonymous, oh, those years ago, for my body. I won't deny it. I came here because I wanted to lose weight. And I did, and then I didn't, and then I did, and then I didn't, and I did, and whatever. And then what happened is is that I stayed because I found it all very interesting. My head really was turned on by, wow, this is fascinating. These people are talking about feelings, and, you know, I got into the emotional piece of it. And then what ended up happening was I found my heart in this program. And what I feel about finding my heart is I never had a connection with a power that's greater than myself that truly does love me, but that I feel love from. And that I know ultimately, even though I am absolutely alone, that I'm never alone. And what I discovered in that walk the other morning was what's fascinating to me is that I've had this whole thing wrong for all these years. 
What I had wrong and that I just got just the other morning was that when I feed my heart today, when I feed my spirit, because my heart is my spirit, and that means doing the things that make me feel well and I know what they are for me and I hope you find what they are for you or hold on to whatever they are for you. When I do those things, my heart gets fed and I find myself feeling happy internally. When that happens, suddenly the voices go away. The need to criticize my husband, the need to criticize myself, the need to find things very not okay go away. And from there, suddenly, I just show up for myself physically. I eat foods that nourish me. I desire that. So I, 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 I don't know why I got it so wrong for so long that I thought that I had to just do this physical thing first and then I would feel well up here and then in my heart. But what I have found is that it's exactly the opposite. So the, the, the piece that matters there is that if I didn't keep coming back, might I have never found that truth for myself? If we don't keep coming back, we might not ever get the it that's important to keep us here. This was mine for, for this week. It might change by next week or something else, but this was significant for me. Because what I also learned is that when I tell the truth to all those other people that I can feel completely truthful with, then I'm not alone. I can always tell somebody, because what I also learned, the other big truth that I learned in this program, and I didn't do it this way for a long time, is that this is a we program. This is not a me program. These steps say we. The first word in the first step is we. Admitted we were powerless over food. It's not me, I, Judy, I'm powerless. I'm all alone here being powerless. We admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. And in that weeness, for me, is great strength. In that weeness, for me, is lack of isolation, lack of internal shame, lack of internal hate. It's self-love. It's group harmony. It's what I get from the people that I choose to hang around with that feed me. Because when I'm telling the truth, when I do that, I don't abandon me and my feelings. I used to abandon myself and my feelings. It's what kept me wanting to stay in the disease and not the recovery. When I tell the truth to myself and own my feelings, whatever they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I get the chance of coming out on the other side of them. And when I don't tell the truth about my feelings, I, I don't seem to ever come out on the other side. They just get pushed down just a little bit deeper. And I'm not willing to do that to myself today. I, I, I want to live my life to the fullest. I want to be present for myself. I like that. So the last thought I want to share with you on this being a we and me program, a we not me program, is that um, I, I, I like to tell people this because I think it's important for me to remember and it's a good visual for me. I used to collect elephants. I have a whole collection of little elephants in my glass thing. And somebody told me um, a long time ago, I loved elephants. And now, of course, it's no surprise to you why I would love elephants. They're the largest land animal. So I, of course, always related to them as being this big creature. But, of course, I was very alone being a big creature. And elephants travel in families. 
They don't ever, except single males, travel alone. They travel in a herd. And what I learned from somebody a long time ago is that when an elephant takes ill, uh, if it were to go down, it might not ever be able to get back up because of its sheer bulk and size. And what I learned is that the elephant family comes and stands around this ill elephant and it leans on them until it can heal itself from within to have the strength to move forward. So if anyone in this room needs an elephant, that's what it's about. You are my family. We support one another in recovery. It is through the strength and the hope and the courage that we do our lives with each day that we get better because I have a lot of days where I need to lean and then I have a lot of days where I have some strength and you can come lean on me. And that's how we get better together in Overeaters Anonymous. Please keep coming back. Please keep coming back so that this can be something that you feel internally like I'm feeling at this moment and I have great gratitude for this program for my life. Thanks. All right. Thank, thank you all very much. We're all doing this together. This meeting is now open for just a few three-minute pitches. Please keep your sharing to three minutes and and continue to share your experience, strength, and hope on the topics discussed today. Um, also, all participants must sign the tape release form. Please sign before your pitch. So this session is over at 9.45. Would anybody like to come up and share? My name is Pam V, and I am a compulsive overeater. Uh, anything I say is my own opinion. I speak only for myself. I have been a member of Overeaters Anonymous since November 1975. I have kept coming back no matter what. Um, it's really touched my heart this morning. And it's not often that I allow that to come out because I, like uh, people here, do a lot to protect my heart. And for many years, I protected my heart by wrapping it in fat, uh, protected my body, protected my soul. And Overeaters Anonymous um, changed my life. It is not the same as it was all those years back. And I have the same kind of thing about thinking, well, I was 32 when I came here, and I'm going to be 62 a year from now. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and I have had the same experience. I think my disease is very recidivist. And uh, this particular issue is very close to my heart because I worked at World Service on the 12th Step Within Committee, um, worked on the literature, and I have kept coming back no matter what all these years. 
I have been, um, my top weight was 277, and um, my first weight loss was 100 pounds. So I have been all over. Um, I have been pretty much abstinent the last three years. I have been 24 years abstinent, 25 years abstinent from sugar. Um, but like I said, I think the thing that we need to get is that it's not about being perfect. It's about finding what works for you. And there are so many different ways to go. I mean, we have a basic pattern by the steps and the tools and um, the traditions. But within that, since we are all different, we end up going different ways. And I think the, the, the thing that is the most important is to remember that my seat is for here forever, and so is yours. You know, you didn't come in these doors by mistake. And I don't stay by mistake. Uh, I'm a member of other 12-step programs, but this is where I started, and this is where my heart is. And I love Overeaters Anonymous, and I love you all. Thank you. My name's Dana. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I've been in OA for 19 years. I have eight years of abstinence from refraining from compulsively eating. Um, I'm a 100-pounder. I used to weigh 275 pounds, and today I wear a size 12 jeans, and I can actually cross my legs. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I do have relapse. I have horrific uh, relapse in my story. I gained 35 pounds once in six weeks. I'm a hard eater. And two things I wanted to share real quick. The first thing, what happened eight years ago, was um, I got honest. And honesty is the first principle of step one. And I was outside a big book meeting, and somebody came out and asked me, how are you doing? And I could do the song and dance and say, I'm doing just fine, thank you. Or I could be honest and tell them I thought I was relapsed. And so I decided to go the honesty route. And she um, said, okay, well, call me and tell me what you're going to eat the next day. And I did. And that was the first step into, um, so far, my eight years of um, abstinence. And I can remember deciding each day whether I was going to compulsively overeat or whether I was going to follow the plan of eating that I had committed to my um, sponsor. She actually didn't officially become my sponsor until two weeks after that. But anyhow, um, so honesty was the first thing. And the second thing was um, eight years ago, the um, R2 convention was down in South San Francisco. And I went to the long-timers meeting, and I saw somebody in there who was 21 years abstinent. She was a 100-pounder, and she sounded sane. And that was a real attraction for me. And so what I heard her say, it was like, you never know when a spiritual awakening is going to happen. That's why I have to keep putting myself in the solution. And um, what she said, that what um, kept her abstinent all those years was um, her, the compulsion to compulsively overeat was lifted because she never had that. But the key for her was the uh, um, obsession to be a normal a person, a normal eater. And so... When I heard that, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's been my trouble. I've been trying to be a normal person, eating whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want. And um, I wasn't accepting the fact that I was a compulsive overeater and that um, that was another key that, that really kind of um, sat deep inside that, okay, I am a compulsive overeater. There are certain things that I need to do. Um, also, what I want to say is that um, for me that – 
there's, I'm also a food addict, and what that means, if I put certain ingredients in my body, that phenomenon of craving happens. And if I put those certain foods in my body, it doesn't matter how many times I work the steps, I'm going to have that phenomenon of craving. So it was important for me to figure out what that was and um, abstain from those foods, too. And then I could get, you know, then I could work on the um, obsession of the mind. It's, a, you know, the, the phenomenon of craving mixed with the obsession of the mind. And I do eat from all food groups. Okay, I, I need to stop. Um, so I, ha I do have a well-balanced um, plan of eating, but um, I do have abstinence from certain ingredients. Thanks. Thank you all very much. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers again.